Our world is a, a noisy place. Uh, a pl- our world is a place where silence is often viewed as being awkward. In fact, there's, we even have a term for it, awkward silence. Uh, silence is not something that we, uh, that we really, I guess, enjoy all that much. Maybe we do in some cases, but in our world, as you think about all the different, you know, there's, there's newspapers, there's television, there's internet, there's all these different things that are sending noise our way. There's the radio, there's our phones. Our, our world is a, a noisy place. Our world is a place where there's not a whole lot of silence anymore. We don't really even appreciate what, I guess, true silence really is because even when it is quiet, you may still have cars passing by or you know this machine making that noise. It's never really actually silent. In, Revela- in Revelation chapter 8 and verse 1, there's a a very interesting passage of Scripture. After Jesus addresses the seven churches of Asia, and then we get a picture into the throne room of God, and we see the Lamb, and then after that, there's and they're both praised by the host of heaven, and then there's a whole lot of things that happen in chapter 6 and chapter 7. Uh, not a quiet scene at all in Revelation 4 through 7. But you get to Revelation chapter 8 and verse 1. And it says, When he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. Now this is a, a, a figurative book, a book that uses language uh, kind of in pictures to paint a picture for us. It's not that there was literally half an hour because, you know, there's no time where God exists. This is where this is. But it's the idea of there was a period of time where it was silent, where it was totally quiet. I can't even imagine what that would be like. In heaven where there's all this singing, there's all this praising of God, there's all these events that are described as happening, then all of a sudden just totally quiet in the presence of God. All the angels, all the ones that are there, just silent. You look at Habakkuk chapter 2. And thinking about that passage there in Revelation 8.1, you think about then Habakkuk 2 and verse 20. And it's been talking about there in that chapter the idol gods and, and that people say to these idol gods, Awake, arise, teach us. It says in Habakkuk 2 verse 20 though, But the Lord is in His holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before Him. And in thinking about this, let all the earth keep silence before him, then is the idea of reverence and this idea of respect. And I got to thinking about this. I thought, you know, in thinking about that, what kind of attitude should we have when we approach God? So we're going to look at a few things tonight. We're going to look at, first of all, in thinking about this respect we are to have when we come before God, we're going to first look at a few examples of some folks in Scripture who found themselves in God's presence. And let's just see how these people, when they found themselves in God's presence, how did they react? What was their attitude like? What what did they do 
when they found themselves in God's presence. Our first example we find is Jacob in Genesis chapter 28. Genesis chapter 28, Jacob is our first example. Remember, Jacob has left home because he, he cheated his brother out of his birthright and out of the blessing. And so he has to leave because Esau threatened to kill him. And Jacob goes to sleep, verse 11. And he takes a stone and puts it at his head and he lay down to sleep. And he dreamed. And behold, a ladder was set up on the earth. And its top reached to heaven. And there the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie I will give to you and your descendants. Now look at verse 16. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. Then Jacob rose early in the morning. He took the stone that had been at his head. He set it up as a pillar, and he poured oil on top of it. And he called the name of that place Bethel. But the name of that city had been Luz previously. The word Bethel means house of God. This made such an impression upon Jacob that he changed the name of this place. What did we learn when Jacob awoke? What was his reaction like? The text says that he was afraid. And also he was impressed so deeply with this, with what he had seen, that he changed the name of a place. Imagine if something happened here in Smithville that was so significant that we changed the name of the town to something totally different. Uh, that's a significant event to change the name of a place. Usually when places are named, as long as that nation or that state who's in power is there, that name's going to stay the same. Something significant has to happen for a place's name to change. So we see that Jacob is impressed by the significance of this. He's also afraid. Our second example we find is a man named Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 6, we read his reaction when he found himself in the presence of God. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1 through 7. It says, In the year that King Uzziah died, this is Isaiah writing, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. So I said, Isaiah sees all this, Woe is me, for I am undone. Because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken from the tongs from the altar. 
And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away and your sin purged. What was Isaiah's reaction when he realized just what he was seeing and just where he was in this moment? His reaction was one, he says, Woe is me, for I am undone. Or I am, verse 5, I am destroyed, I am cut off. Woe is me for what I have seen. I'm not supposed to be here, is really Isaiah's reaction. So we think then his reaction, they're very similar to Jacob's, is one of of fear. One of, I, I don't belong in the presence of God. A humility is there. Understanding just who he is in light of who God is. Our third example is a man by the name of Ezekiel. We read about this in Ezekiel chapter 1. Ezekiel chapter 1, verse 26 through verse 28. This is similar in some ways to what Isaiah saw. Ezekiel chapter 1, verse 26 through 28. Ezekiel writes in describing a very similar scene. And he's also using some language that kind of paints a picture for us. And above the firmament over their heads was the likeness of a throne, in appearance like a sapphire stone. On the likeness of the throne was a likeness with the appearance of a man high above it. Also, from the appearance of his waist and upward, I saw, as it were, the color of amber with the appearance of fire all around within it. And from the appearance of his waist downward, I saw, as it were, the appearance of fire with brightness all around. Like the appearance of a rainbow in a cloud on a rainy day, so was the appearance of the brightness all around it. This was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. So when I saw it, I fell on my face. And then he says, and I heard a voice of one speaking. And it goes into chapter 2. And God tells him to stand up. What is Ezekiel's reaction when he realizes whose presence he's in? says he falls on his face. Humility, reverence, and once again, some fear. One more example of someone who found themselves in God's presence. This time go to the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 1, we read about John. John the Apostle in Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1, we're going to start reading with verse 12. John writes, Then I turned to see the voice that spoke of me, and having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the seven lampstands, we find out at the end of this reading, by the way, the seven lampstands, verse 20, they are the seven churches, the ones that come in chapter 2 and chapter 3. And in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the feet and girded about the chest with a golden band, his hair and his head were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes like a flame of fire. His feet were like fine brass, as if refined in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. In other words, picture maybe a big waterfall or a big river, rushing water, very loud. He had in his right hand seven stars. 
Out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying to me, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and of death. What was John's reaction? Since he says, I fell down at his feet as, as dead, like a dead person, dropped to the ground. Once again, humility, reverence, and once again, some fear. As Jesus told him, that's who this is, don't be afraid. So we've seen these examples of people who found themselves in God's presence, and we've seen how they have reacted, what their reaction was, and how often... God would tell someone in this situation, don't be afraid. These aren't the only examples you could think of, but these were the four that I decided to go with. So with this in mind, there's something important for us to remember. When we worship God, we enter His presence. In Psalm 100, the psalmist wrote something very important, thinking about our praising God and our worshiping God. In Psalm 100, we learn that our singing and our praise brings us into God's presence. The psalmist said in Psalm 100, Make a joyful shout to the Lord, all you lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before His presence with singing. Know that the Lord, He is God. It is He who has made us and not we ourselves. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. Enter into His gates with thanksgiving and into His courts with praise. Be thankful to Him and bless His name for the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting and His truth endures to all generations. Notice what He said there about our worship and and I guess in our coming into God's presence. He said in verse 2, Come before His presence with singing. Verse 4, Enter into His gates with thanksgiving, and into His courts with praise. In worshiping God and praising God, we are coming into His presence in doing that. Also, there's a very interesting picture given to us in the book of Revelation. We won't won't read both of these verses, but Revelation chapter 5 and verse 8 and Revelation chapter 8 and verse 4 give us the picture of Before the throne of God, there's this this incense that's burning. And it says, In the smoke of the incense, with the prayers of the saints. It's this idea of picturing for us, in the throne room of God, it's as if there's this incense burning, as there's the smoke that comes off from that, how then that would fill the room. And it likens that to, that is the prayers of the saints in the throne room of God. In other words, the point is this, is when we pray to God, we are coming before Him. It's as if that smoke in God's throne room as it's there in the room. Our prayers are like that. They come before God. When we pray, we are coming before God Almighty. Also, uh, 2 Timothy 3.16 says that all Scripture 
is given by the inspiration of God, or all Scripture is breathed out by God. In other words, this book is the very words of God. So when God's Word is preached or when God's Word is taught, the very words of God are being proclaimed. So when we worship God, we enter His presence. So with those two thoughts in mind, we've seen some examples of people who have found themselves in God's presence and what their attitude was and and how they reacted, how they responded to realizing just where they were. And then we've seen and we've noticed that when we worship God, we enter His presence. We come before Him. We enter into His gates. We enter into His courts. We enter into His presence with our worship. So with that in mind then, this is the question that we need to ask. How then should we enter God's presence? And I've only got three things. There are more, I'm sure, but these three things, I suppose, kind of summarize a lot of different things. We should enter God's presence with the proper actions and with the proper attitude. Jesus, in speaking to the Samaritan woman at the well, we studied this just a few weeks ago in John 4, verse 24. He said, God is a spirit, and they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. We talked about how the the Jews and the Samaritans were kind of at, at both ends of this. The Samaritans, while they had maybe the, the right attitude, they were worshiping God, but it wasn't in truth. They were not doing what God said to do. The Jews, on the other end, were on the other side of that spectrum. They often would do exactly what God said to do in worshiping Him. But as we've seen in our studies in the book of John over and over again, especially with the religious leaders, their attitude was not what it should have been. And Jesus makes the point in that God is a spirit and those who worship Him, we must. That means must do this. There, you can't do anything other than this if you want to worship God acceptably. Must worship Him with the right attitude and with the right actions in spirit and in truth. We should enter God's presence then with the right attitude and also in doing that which is right. Also, in thinking about how we should enter God's presence, I think of a parable that Jesus told in Luke chapter 18. You may probably remember this parable, the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector as they went up to the temple to pray. Jesus said that these two men went up to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other was a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the tax collector, standing afar off, would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, beat his chest, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Jesus said, I tell you, This man, the tax collector, the one who prayed, God be merciful to me, a sinner, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. 
For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. We should enter God's presence humbly, recognizing just who we are and just who God is. Recognize that we are people who have sinned, who need God, and without God, we would be condemned for all eternity because that is what we deserve. And realize that God is the eternal, almighty, powerful, holy creator of all things. That is who we are coming before. Someone that we don't even deserve to be able to enter his presence, much less have salvation. We certainly don't deserve to be able to enter his presence. I mean, really, when we think about it, had God not made a way possible, we couldn't enter his presence because we have sinned and God is a holy God we wouldn't be able to stand before him or enter into his presence. So with that in mind, the fact that just simply coming before him, much less asking him for anything, just coming into his presence is not something that we deserve. Realizing that, then just as the tax collector did, we ought to come before him humbly and recognize just who we are in relation to just who He is. And then finally, we should enter God's presence with thanksgiving. It was interesting in studying for this, in in thinking about worshiping God. We saw it in Psalm 100. We won't read all the passages that are there. So often in worshiping God, there's this idea of joy, of thankfulness, of thanksgiving that goes along with it. Part of worshiping God is, as we've talked about, obviously we have to have the right attitudes and we have to do that which is right. We need to come before Him humbly, recognizing that we don't even deserve to be able to come before Him. We need to be thankful. We need to be thankful for what He has given us. We need to be thankful that we can even praise Him. Uh, We'll read Hebrews uh, chapter 13, verse 15. All of these passages make a similar point. Hebrews 13, verse 15 says, Therefore, by Him, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to His name. When we think about worshiping God, one thing that needs to stand at the, at the forefront of our worshiping God is thankfulness, is thanksgiving. Really, I, I don't suppose that one could properly worship God if they are not thankful to God for all that He has done for them. I, I don't think worship, not acceptable worship, is possible if we're not thankful for what God has done. So as we think about these things, we've looked at these examples, we realize that when we worship God, we enter into His presence. So, since we enter into His presence, we need to be mindful that it matters then how we enter into His presence. Our attitude matters. The things that we do matter. 
We need to be humble. We also need to be thankful. Realizing what a, what a blessing it is to be able to come into the presence of God Almighty. In this noisy world, it can be very difficult, I suppose, to enjoy some time and of peace and quiet, we say sometimes. But let's not forget that, that we need to take time to remember who we are and who God is. And as we go forward in our week, let's not forget that God is to be held in the highest esteem. He is to be, he is to be reverenced. He is to be respected. Whenever we praise Him, whenever we sing songs praising Him, whenever we pray to Him, whenever we approach Him, we need to make sure that we remember we are coming before a God who must be reverenced. Tonight, if you need to respond to the invitation, if you are a Christian and you realize that there are things in your life that ought not be there, then our God, we've talked about things, a lot of things that we don't deserve from God. We don't deserve another opportunity. But God has been long-suffering with us and continues to hold out hope that if our life is not right with Him, that we will make our life right. If you need to do that tonight, please do. If you're not a Christian, or if you have questions about anything, I'll be glad to study with you. The Bible teaches, as those did in Acts chapter 2, they believed Jesus to be the Christ, the Son of God, and Peter told them to repent and be baptized, every one of them, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of their sins. 